It's October 3rd, 2022. Time for the Monday edition of the Sports Wagon Podcast. Hope you all had a great weekend. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Check your programs and scorecards, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 176. We'll start with Major League Baseball on this episode. So we roughly have about four games remaining in the Major League schedule, give or take. You know, as we know, teams will hit that 162 mark, but they're either about four games, a little more, a little less. And here's what the playoff picture currently looks like. Now, keep in mind, the wild cards will start on Friday. The regular season ends Thursday. We'll have four wild card games on Friday on ESPN. So we'll hopefully get some time to talk through some of the MLB stuff uh, come Wednesday. So in the AL, so we look at the Yankees and the Astros will advance to the American League Divisional Series. And playing wild cards will be Cleveland, Seattle, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. So with the wild card, remember that the team with the highest seeding will host the wild card. So if it hosts all the games of the wild card, it's a best of three. So I don't know the numbers right off because, again, everything is still kind of in flux. But as you can see, the American League seems to be have a little bit more uh, is a little bit more structured right now. They, we kind of have a better picture in the AL. So as we've been going through this, we've kind of said, OK, we're kind of slowly seeing this playoff picture come into focus. The American League, I think, is way more focused because if we move over to the senior circuit, the National League, we still got a little work to do here. So Los Angeles is heading to the NLDS that we do know. Last night, Atlanta beat the Mets, so they have a two-game lead over the Mets. More than likely, if this thing goes continues to go the way it's going, more than likely, we're going to see Los Angeles and Atlanta head to the American League Divisional Series. Then your wild cards will be the Mets, the Padres, the Phillies, and the Cardinals. So I've always said this, I've said this on a number of times on, on this podcast, that come come October, I don't want to see St. Louis. <laughs> I mean, no matter where they start, where they finish the season, I do not want to see the Cardinals in the postseason. So they're going to be, they're always going to be a tough out in the postseason, and they've got the World Series titles to prove it. Let's move over to the NFL. Your winners from Sunday, the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Falcons, the Seahawks, Titans, Giants, Eagles, who are now 4-0 and the only undefeated team remaining in the league. The Jets, the Bills, the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Packers win on a Mason Crosby field goal in overtime. And Aaron Rodgers is not happy. He said, we cannot continue to win in this fashion. The Raiders and the Chiefs. So as of right now, as we said, the Eagles are 4-0. They're the only undefeated team remaining in the NFL. And the Houston Texans are still winless. They are 0 Three and one. Monday night football, the LA Rams two and one visit the one and two 49ers. The 49ers are one and a half point favorites, 815 ESPN and the Manning Brothers on the other ESPN uh, channels. Let's talk a little basketball. So the USA women, they win their fourth straight FIBA World Championship and their 11th overall championship. They beat China 83 to, I'm sorry, China 81, 83-61. And this is their largest uh, for, I think, per the records for FIBA World Final. This 22-point win is their large largest mar- margin in the final ever. So that says a lot. So we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what, you know, some takeaways from this win uh, in a moment. So only five players from the Olympic team were on this current world championship team. They had one player 30 years old. 
six newcomers, all led by head coach Cheryl Reeve, who just recently uh, took over as the uh, national team coach. And we all know Cheryl Reeves' uh, uh, body of work. She's a w, multiple WMA champion with the Minnesota Lynx. Um, so the team went undefeated in group play. They won by an average of about 41 points, and only one game was decided by less than 15 points. Um, now, the big thing here is this win qualifies the U.S. the U.S. women's team for the Olympics in Paris in 2024. So let's kind of think about the statement that was made by this team. So we said the largest margin in the final, 22 points. Great. Um, one player, 30 years old and six newcomers. So what do you have on this team? No Sue Bird, no Diana Tarazi, no Sylvia Fowles, no Brittany Griner. Free Brittany Griner. We, we continue to say that. And we want resolution and we hope resolution will come very, very soon because it's been way too long since she has been detained unjustly in Russia. So with lacking without having that veteran leadership, one player over 30, 30 years old, one player, 30 years old, and six newcomers, people start to ask, OK, well, how's this team going to look? Well, number one this based on the based on the metrics. This team looked very good. So we can say without question that the future is very bright for USA basketball on the women's side. Um, the newcomers like Shakira Austin, she played outstanding. She really plays an outstanding ball, moving wonderfully without the basketball, making shots defensively. I think that's where her biggest presence was felt. She was really a force on the defensive end of this. So, again, you, you, you look at who's on this team and you've got. You know, not so much the age, but you have players who have played in the WNBA for a number of years. Um, they know, you know, what it's like to win. You've got, I think I counted this the other day. I forget the number, but I think at least six players on the team, something to that number, have are WNBA champions, including the, the most recent three, W. Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, and Chelsea Gray. Um, so you've... Again, the veteran, the veteran, the super elder veteran leadership is lacking, but you've got players that have been through the fire. They have they have their stripes. And I think with those players, you know, like Stewie and as we mentioned, Asia Wilson and uh, Chelsea Gray. So those three players and, and the others who have the experience on their belt. Those are going to be the players who will be the the veterans that the newcomers will look up to. So I think this may be I'm. Quote, correct me on this or keep me honest. I believe this is Kalia Copper's first go around here, I believe. And I think she missed the semifinals, semifinals or finals. She missed one game. She had a hip injury, but we're hoping that she's going to be okay. But again, she played so well throughout pool play and into uh, the, the tournament, the single elimination part of this tournament. And just when you thought Asia Wilson couldn't do any more great stuff, she was named the tournament MVP. And I believe she showed up, I think, a day or two after, <laughs> you know, winning the WMA title and getting lit at the, uh, <laughs> at the at the parade and just having a great time. And she had to get on the plane, fly to Australia and play it out of her mind and won yet another MVP. So, again, with all that said, this uh, the women's team. They, we know their legacy. We know where it began, where it's been going, and we know that the future is very bright for USA women's basketball at the international level. 
Let's go to the NBA. So a couple of news and notes from the NBA. So more contractual stuff. Tyler Hero, he signs a four-year, $130 million extension with the Heat. So of that, $120 is guaranteed. The other $10 million will be incentives. So if you recall, Hero was the 13th pick in the 2019 draft. He is the sixth player in his draft class to agree to a rookie contract extension. So again, Archie Barrett, Zion Williamson, to name two of the other uh, six. Um, last season, he was the sixth man of the year. He averaged 20.7 points, and he had eight, count them, one, two, three, four, you know how to count. He had eight 30-point games off the bench last season. That is the most since Sweet Pepper Lou, Lou Williams, did it in 2018-2019. And he and Jordan Clarkson were the only two players to score 1,000 or more points off the bench. So, again, well-deserved for Tyler Hero. I mean, there are people, I, sometimes I hear these conversations, I see these crazy um, tweets and people, like, Tyler Hero ain't all that. Uh, okay, let's, let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit, okay? <laughs> I mean, I think he's worth every penny here, and he's, and I think outside of the metrics, the eye test for me, he definitely, definitely plays the game, the game of basketball very well. The Celtics, they signed Blake Griffin to a one-year contract. So if you recall, the Celtics have had some issues with attrition due to injury. So uh, uh, Dalino Gallinari has a torn ACL. Robert Williams III is having knee surgery. He's going to be out at least 8 to 12 weeks. So again, they get some depth in the front court. So that's very important for the Celtics. Uh, Griffin, this is his fourth team in his 12-year career. So Clippers, Pistons, he's most recently spent a year and a half with the Nets. And again, the numbers, he was uh, what averaged 6.4 points and 4.1 rebounds last year with the Nets. He's a six-time All-Star and five-time All-NBA selection. Let's move over to NASCAR. Wow, the playoffs have been crazy. They finally sort of normalized, if you will. Chase Elliott is the first playoff driver to win a playoff race this year. So remember the first round, Everybody who won the first round were non-playoff drivers. So with that win, two things. Number one, he takes the points lead. But the most important piece, he secures a spot in the round of eight. So again, great stuff for him because, again, a lot of these drivers were kind of hoping that, you know, with a win, they get pushed to the next round. It helps with their points. So Elliott is the first player to actually, the first player driver to actually get pushed to the next round. So he has nothing to worry about. He could literally just you know, slack off the next few races and it doesn't matter. He's into the next round. Um, he wins the Yellowwood 500 at Talladega. So here's how this went down. He was fifth on the last race restart with two laps remaining. He got a push from Eric Jones on the final lap. He passed Ryan Blaney and held him off to win by 0.46 seconds. Um, this race, usually Talladega. So there's been a lot of issues with this next generation car. And again, these are the kind of issues I would have expected to have seen earlier in the season. But it seems as if, you know, there was a few issues early and then there's been sporadic issues throughout the season. And then as the season ended and down to the playoffs, we're seeing more and more problems with this car. So the drivers have been very vocal and very angry at NASCAR because they feel like they have not um really responded and come up with solutions to these problems. So two drivers are out with concussions. Um, you know, tire problems have plagued some of the Fords, mechanical problems have plagued the Toyotas and, you know, other random issues. But the crashes, 
um, you know, the concern is with the crashes, there's been, you know, with the concussions and crashes, those sorts of things, the, the drivers are not confident in the things NASCAR is doing to assure their safety. Now, NASCAR says otherwise, but Chase Elliott spoke out about this, and uh, his team owner, Rick Hendrick, was kind of surprised, but not really, because Elliott is usually very reserved. He doesn't really, you know, he, he really stay, doesn't really get above the fray. He kind of talks, you know, you know, racing, doesn't really get into all the, you know, the, the, the minutia of all the things that's happening you know, within the sport, but he really spoke out because, again, he's with the chorus of drivers who are just thinking that, look, NASCAR isn't doing enough to keep us safe. So we'll see how NASCAR responds. I'm sure there has been some response. I'm just curious to see, you know, what what additional response will come and what actions are going to be taken. Now, with all that said, Talladega is usually a grueling race, and this race was calm by normal standards that you see this race run under. So only six cautions, and we had one caution for a multi-car crash, 57 lead changes among 17 drivers. I mean, that's really, for this racetrack, that's a very calm day. So again, congratulations to Chase Elliott on his way to the round of eight. Um, I think next week, I don't have the race for next week. I believe they're going to Charlotte next week, but we'll uh, recap and we'll reset the deck on NASCAR uh, uh, next show or probably Friday. We'll see how, how it goes. All right. Woo, college football. Let's get into this because <laughs> some things have happened and some things that I talked about last show have happened. <laughs> and even so, some things that I talked about last show have happened twice. <laughs> so we're going to get into it. So first, as we always do, we're going to start with the AP Top 10 for week six. We have a new number one team, Alabama. They move up a slot to number one. They get 25 first place votes. Georgia slides down a slot to number two. They get 28 first place votes. Votes Three, four, and five stay intact. Ohio State is third with 10 first place votes, followed by Michigan and Clemson. USC stays intact at six. Oklahoma State moves up two spots to seven. Tennessee holds in place at eight. Old Miss up five spots to number nine, and Penn State slides into the top 10, up a slot from 11. So the big movers this week, Wake jumps seven spots to 15, while Kentucky drop uh, six spots to seven, to 13 and 21st, uh, respectively. So seven teams entered the poll this week. So 17 through 19, that'd be TCU, UCLA, and Kansas. Kansas, people, Kansas football is 5-0. and oh. So yeah, what do you got to say about that? I mean, every, you know, we know the joke. Kansas is a basketball school. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, remembering how there was the big thing with uh, Calipari saying Kentucky is a basketball school and people, like, went at him, like, oh, well, but Mark Stoops is doing great things, and he is. And, you know, you know, Calipari said, okay, no, 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 there's no slight to him. But, I mean, but traditionally we know, you know, there are the the blue bloods of college uh, college basketball Kansas is one of them, but you got a 5-0 Kansas Jayhawk football team. I mean, three, four years ago, Kansas was one of the worst teams in the country. Now they're 5-0, and and as I've said, their head coach, Lance Leopold, he is on multiple lists to get another job. So I don't know what the talk is in Kansas, but whoever their AD is, they better do some work 
to talk to the donors to be like, hey, we need to keep him here. So you better make it worth his while. Even if they lose a game, let's just say they lose a couple games. They're still in contention in the pack at the Big 12. I mean, even if they don't win the Big 12, this is quite a season for Kansas. Kansas hasn't been this good since what the early the early 2000s. They Mark Mangino took them to the what bowl was it? He took them to a bowl. It was a it was a New Year's Six bowl. So hey, Kansas. That's all that needs to be said. Kansas. Um, Syracuse. So 22 through 25. Syracuse is at 22. Mississippi State 23. Cincinnati 24. And LSU. Brian Kelly's LSU is at 25. Again, my mind is still blown. Seven teams left the poll this week. Baylor, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Arkansas, uh, Florida State, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. So we'll talk about those guys in just a moment. Let's get to the news and notes. Here's where college football got crazy. So I'm going to save the obvious for, for a moment from now. Let's talk about the shock of the weekend. Wisconsin fired head coach Paul Christ. I think no one saw that one coming. Now, I knew Wisconsin wasn't doing very well, but I'm thinking, okay, considering what Christ has done, oh, he's a Wisconsin guy. They fired him on Sunday. Okay. So the team is currently two and three. Now, again, there are teams who are winless. Okay. It didn't look good Saturday. They got their doors blown off. But yeah, I, I, there are a lot of coaches and a lot of insiders in college football who were, and me too, who were just like blown away. Like, I'm going, wait, wait, what just happened? Um, so here's what happened the Badgers lost 34 to 10 to Illinois. Here's the weird storyline here. Illinois is coached by, I believe, the man that uh, Chris replaced, Brett Bielema. Bizarro world. Okay. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, he is now the interim coach. So in seven seasons, Chris went 67 and 26. They won the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl. They won the Big, Tw- Big Ten West three times. Uh, let's see. They went nine and four in last season. They kind of had a tough start. They won nine games last season. They went four and three in the COVID year. I mean, again, the numbers don't blow you off the page, but I mean, two and three at the halfway mark. Okay. It's really not over. Now the next story is probably over, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. Now, Chris, the number is the number is about sixteen point four million that he's owed. The AD of Wisconsin is saying it's probably going to be a little bit less. There was some um, the the athletics board of Wisconsin basically uh, rolled over some options contracts, so they're going to work all the numbers out. But out the door, he's going to get a nice chunk of change to leave. Leonard, so he's a Wisconsin alum as well. He's a three time All American defensive back. Um, I think he's 39 years old, so there's you know some talk that he'll probably be uh, heavily considered uh, to be the next head coach, and I find that interesting because um, it's kind of you know different circumstances by which this happened. But I think about Pat Fitzgerald, who was on the Northwestern staff. Unfortunately, you know his head coach Randy Walker passed away, and he was named head coach, and he's been head coach since. But again, at the time, he was a young assistant alum, so I kind of think about those parallels but you know he leonard seems like he's a a pretty good catch uh, a pretty good uh, candidate for uh this job nevertheless um you know espn does the 
who are 10 names that should replace them. They're the usual suspects. We're not going to get into it. But I think I feel like with the Wisconsin job and again, talking about the Nebraska job, I really feel like, you know, the internal hire is probably going to be the best way to go to save yourself some time, save yourself, not save money. You'll save money on the search. You'll be able to, you know, again, this is kind of the on the job uh, type of day, um, not debut, Jesus. It's like my brain is moving faster than my mouth. <laughs> um, this is going to be kind of the the, the on the job kind of um, uh, operation here. They'll get to see how he how he leads the team. Um, and, and we've seen this several times before the season where, you know, coach gets fired. Here comes the interim coach. Interim coach has to, you know, full of emotion. So when when Leonard went to his uh uh, blah, 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 his press conference, you know, he was emotional about it and for, for many reasons. But again, you kind of have to think about what you're walking into. You know, now you got to replace you're, you're the interim coach. You got to rally the troops. You got to kind of keep everybody on the same page. Uh, you got to kind of you know, right the ship in some way. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But again, this is going to kind of be uh, his uh, his ability, his his opportunity to essentially show what he can do for to the Wisconsin athletic staff. Um, now here's the we kind of knew it was coming, and from we 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 saw this coming news. Colorado fires head coach Carl Durrell and defensive coordinator Chris Wilson. The Buffaloes are 0 5. They got beat by Arizona 43 to 20. And here's the craziest part. Here's the crazy part of that loss. They lost by 23. That's the closest loss this season. That show right there, when you say that, that right there shows you how bad things are going in Colorado. I'm not going to say it's a bad team. Things are just going badly. Now, coupled with the fact that this team had multiple transfers. So, again, they're they're probably, you know, depleted in a lot of areas. They don't have a lot of depth. Um, so, you know, it just, it, it just, it was kind of inevitable. I mean, if the fans are mad, the AD comes out and says, yes, I'm disappointed and blah, 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 blah. You kind of know that it's coming because I kind of read off to you what's coming up for, for Colorado. So they've kind of got the murderers row coming, but they've got a week off. I think they will get Cal on the 14th of October. So they get a week to uh, kind of get it together. So going under interim coach Mike Sanford, who's the offensive coordinator, uh, they get um, you know a week off to kind of regroup. They'll still practice, but they don't have to really take that emotion into Saturday. They get time to process that emotion, practice, work, get better, try to come together. And even Sanford was saying that you know he thinks that this isn't done for them. That you know. They aren't necessarily eliminated. He thinks they can still make something of the season. And I like that thinking. Um, you know, you kind of want somebody in place who's going to say, all right, look, we got to make the best of the situation. Let's change some things up. Let's do some things differently. Firing the de defensive coordinator was probably another good good move, too. So defensive line coach Gerald Chapman is now the interim D.C. So maybe all this shaking up may could potentially make some differences with with Colorado. Now, note their interim coach Mike Sanford. He's a former head coach of Western Kentucky. You know the the record wasn't great. Twenty five games, he won nine and lost sixteen. So again, you know, again, they just have someone in place who potentially wants to and can. Again, depending on how it all falls out, can potentially right the ship 
for the Buffaloes. Um, so Carl Durrell, uh, three seasons. He was eight and fifteen in three seasons, uh, three and one in the COVID year, four and eight last season. Um, I forget how much he's owed. I think he's owed about nine million to walk out the door. All right, so. Last week's picks, I went 10 and 8. So I had 18 games. I went 10 and 8. I was actually okay the first part of the day. Around the 3.30 to the end of the night slate, it got a little ugly. But 10 and 8, I'll take it. Um, I'll go with my overall record on Friday when I do my week 6 picks. Um, if I had, if I could take one back, I'd take back UNC Tech. After I made that pick, because I remember talking through my picks, and I didn't remember. I remember I didn't circle who I picked. So I think I picked on the fly. So, I mean, that's kind of my fault. But I, there was something in my head was telling me Carolina. I wanted Tech. I don't know why I wanted Tech to win this. I just felt like maybe, like I think I talked this through, Carolina has just been, they've just been winning by the edge of their, just by the smallest of margins. And they've just been escaping but yet, if you think about it, young team that can put some points on the board um, defensively, I think they what they I think they did a really good job on tech. I think it was 48. Uh, I forget the score, but it, they 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 hung 48 on tech. So at home. So with that said, you know, Carolina, again, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're definitely a team that could win the coastal, although in saying that and as, I, as my brain formed that sentence, I go, no. It's the Coastal. The Coastal's crazy, and I'll kind of get into that in a moment. I mean, I would take that pick back if I had to. There's some others, but I think that's the one that stands out um, because, you know, it. I don't know. It was just something about that pick that I, if I really looked at it a little closer, I probably could get that one back. I'd be 11-7, and seven, but who cares? What I learned this week. So UCLA looks good. So we talked about how – Four games UCLA played, and we're going, okay, they didn't really play anybody. You know, is UCLA as good as they advertised? They beat Washington, which that's saying something. And they've got a guy on their team. Um, I think he's a wide receiver. I want to say it's Bobo. That guy can play. He, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson does his thing in quarterback, but he's got some targets out there. So they really can put it up there. And in and, and DTR, uh, very dynamic player. He was dynamic as heck last year. And now that they're getting into the heart of conference conference play, I think we're going to see more of that dynamic play from him. And like I said, he's got some guys to throw to on the outside. So uh, UCLA, I think, um, I don't know how I feel about them in the Pac-12 overall. Um, I didn't really get a chance to look at the Pac-12. Well, I mean, yeah, all the ranked teams are at the top of the Pac-12 standing, so that includes UCLA. So right now, in the heart of it, you know, UCLA, Oregon, uh, what Utah, and uh, somebody I'm forgetting, but nevertheless, they're flanking that top half of the of the league. So again, um, you also have what uh, Washington State. They had a really great rebound game against Cal. So a game that they could they they could have upset Oregon. They let them back in the game. They, at home, they smack Cal around. But again, no disrespect to Cal. Cal is actually a good team. So, I mean, that Pac-12 is going to be interesting, but we're going to start to see more separation in these teams because, I mean, USC. If I got a USC, how can I forget USC? But again, you know, when you got the USC's, the Oregon's, uh, the UCLA's, the Utah's at the top of this thing, 
those are the teams that, you know, when they come to town, you know, you're going to be chomping at the bit to get at them, to get after them, and to, you know, do big things against them. But USC is a little scary, too. For my money, if this thing, I'm looking at the top 10 again, and we all know how this is going to work. We got, you know, four, the top four teams are going to go to the CFP. So right now, Georgia, Alabama makes sense, or uh, Ohio State makes sense. Um, Michigan, Clemson, USC, you could make an argument for all three teams. Right now, if you had to make an argument, I would say Michigan sticks in that, in that, in that four spot. You could kind of toss a, uh, do a coin flip USC Clemson. That's what I think because again, Clemson's pretty dominant right now. Um, the other thing I notice is with Clemson being three and zero, I think they're going to win the Atlantic again. I really think Clemson is the team that's going. They're going to take the Atlantic division back this season. Um, now they've got Syracuse at home on the twenty second, so I think that's going to be a big challenge. Um, Syracuse is going to come at it. And I mean, uh, they've got a really good quarterback, uh, Sean Tucker, their running back. He's, he's dynamic. I think he, I think he ran for, they beat Wagner 59 to nothing. I think he ran for 250 or something like that this past weekend. Like, look, they beat Wagner so bad that they, I think they played the third and fourth quarter with like a running clock or something, or they did some special rule because they were beating them so bad. So, uh, this Syracuse team they can win big and they can win close. So if they can kind of keep close to Clemson, play a really tight defensive game and really run their offense because they run their air raid offense, I think Syracuse has a pretty good chance to beat Clemson. If they don't, I think Clemson wins the Atlantic. I think Clemson will run the table here. Um, now, let's go to the Coastal. I mentioned the Coastal is a little crazy right now. So guess who's at the top of the Coastal Division? That would be one Duke at 1-0 and and one UNC at 1-0. and Are you insane? <laughs> so, again, are we talking football or basketball right now? Now, guess who's in third place? This one's going to really blow your mind. Georgia freaking Tech. The Rambling Wreck. I'm what? What's their song? I'm a Rambling Wreck from Georgia Tech and a hell of an engineer. Well, they engineered a victory over the defending Coastal Champions on their home field on Saturday. Brent Key. Their interim coach got them raring to go, and they went to Pittsburgh and got the upset. Hey, a change in coaching sometimes will do you good. You know what I'm saying? So, but Tech is one and one in third place in the Coastal. Are you high? Are you insane right now? Are you not excited and entertained? Okay. So, again, the Coastal looks crazy. The Atlanta looks like it's going to be the Clemson show. What does that make for? That makes for just really slightly more interesting TV on the coastal side, the Atlantic side, you know, again, they've got Clemson's got more games to play, but right now it's kind of oh, very boring uh, when it comes to the Atlantic side um, when it was looking like it could get a little interesting, but we'll see how it all goes again. We don't know until we know until they play it out. Um, I think Mike Elko. So Mike Elko and speaking of Syracuse, Dino Babers, the way their seasons are going, I think those are your two early candidates for coach of the year in the ACC. I mean, I don't think anyone expected Duke to come out the way they did. And Syracuse for Babers, this was a I got to get it done this season or I'm done. So 
even if this thing goes left a little bit, I think Babers is good to go. But I think he's definitely in the conversation, him and Mike Elko for coach of the year in the ACC. Um, Real quick, the SEC. The SEC West, all the teams are still in play, but it's really Alabama's to lose. We all know how that goes. Again, uh, SEC West is kind of like the ACC Atlantic. Okay, you know it's the it's the it's the Bama show. <sighs> Very boring. The SEC East, you've got about a three to four team race that includes Georgia, but those other teams are all chasing Georgia. And Georgia, if you saw this, Georgia almost lost to Missouri. Missouri, guys. So Missouri is 0-2 in SEC East play. And when this game started, I'm watching highlights going, wait, what is going on here? So I think everybody in Dog Nation is breathing a sigh of relief. That's why we saw that change in the in one and two in the poll this week. But this isn't, and also Georgia got more first place votes than everybody, but they still dropped. But all in all, I think Georgia is still, in my opinion, they're still one of, you know, they're definitely still in contention to repeat. Um, but again, they've really got to tighten it up to avoid, you know, having a another letdown like that because, you know, it's not going to get any easier. We all know what happens when you're the champ. Everybody wants a piece of you. So I think, you know, Kirby Smart is probably really driving that point home this week. Like we saw what could have happened. So get it together and play some Georgia football. Play like you've been here before. You are the champs. Um, What is up with Purdue? I've talked about Purdue a number of times. They are three and two. They get really revved up to play ranked teams. So Minnesota spent. Uh, a week in the top 25 they were 21st and i believe they hosted the boilermakers they lose at home they were 21st they drop out of the poll so now i want to do a little experiment so i'm gonna look at what um i'm looking at 19 games uh for week six so we're at the midpoint of the season so it's about you know six seven about seven more weeks seven more weeks to play six six more weeks six seven more weeks to play and I want to see, let's see, Purdue is playing Maryland, 4-1 Maryland in College Park this coming Saturday. I'm going to call that game. But I'm going to see how Purdue's going to do against Maryland. And then the following week, they get Nebraska at home. I want to see how they're going to do. So what if, we'll just throw this out there. What if Purdue gets all revved up and excited to play this ranked Minnesota team and they beat them? And then go out and drop the next two games. What does that tell you? So for me, it says what I've been saying about this Purdue team. They get up for huge games and then have the letdown. We saw it last season. We'll just see how it's going to go this 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 time around. Because Maryland, offensively, they're doing the thing. I mean, they they only lost right now to Michigan. And, you know, we all know how that goes. They went to they went to Ann Arbor and, you know, got smacked around. It happens. I mean, that's usually what happens to most teams when they go to Ann Arbor. But they got Maryland and they got Nebraska. Now, most folks will say they should beat Nebraska. But, again, we'll see. Anything can happen. But I'm just curious to see what's going to happen to this team over the next two weeks. Um, also, what is up with Louisville? Louisville is now 2-3. and three, And their head coach, Scott Satterfield's seat is getting a little bit hotter I think they lost a close one to Boston College. So that's another 
ACC Atlantic game. So again, there's movement in the Atlantic, but it's you got Clemson and everybody else. The separation below Clemson is happening, but it's Clemson, Syracuse, and everybody else. Because again, the first question I had, I said, well, shoot, they beat State at home, NC State. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if State can't beat them, who can? I said, oh, they still got Syracuse. So again, that's going to be the test. If Syracuse goes to Death Valley and makes this a game and walks out of there with a victory, there's your answer. If Syracuse can't pull it out or if Clemson blows their doors off, which I don't think is going to be a blowout when they play, but then there's your answer. Again, We're I think that game's going to tell us the fate of the ACC Atlantic at that point because by, by then I think Clemson would have played most of their tough competition. They would have hit their murderer's row and their schedule, and then from there we they go hit downhill. Of course, they end the season playing South Carolina, who's actually doing pretty good. South Carolina and Shane Beamer are having a you know pretty good season. All right. Oh, so as I mentioned, 19 games for this week. One of them is the Red River Shootout. Yes, I say shootout. I still say shootout as I call. I still call Georgia, Florida, the cocktail party. Sue me. Okay. So that's one of the games we'll be talking about. Um, always fun when Texas and Oklahoma get together. No love lost. They can't stand each other. All the stuff that comes with a rivalry. So, so as we said, you know, uh, Wednesday, Friday, going towards the end of the week, we'll start looking at some other things, some Heisman favorites. We'll do the MLB recap. We'll do some playoff previews. Um, and I mentioned something else earlier that we'll kind of get into, uh, you know, as the week goes on. Oh, NASCAR will kind of reset the deck, tell you who's doing where, what, when, why, how this weekend. So another race, the last race of the second round, and then they'll – eliminate uh four more and they'll get to the round of eight and then they'll keep it moving so until i talk to you thank you for listening i appreciate you tuning me in tuning into me on this monday i gotta go to work in a little bit so i'm kind of laying these tracks down now because i had a lot of notes and it's very difficult to read these notes while i'm driving my car so you probably ask me how do i do this Short notes, a lot of memorization. That's how I podcast in the car. Short notes, memorization. So, again, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. If you're new, go back. Check out the archives. A lot of great interviews. A lot of great stuff that we've done here on the podcast um, as we kind of are moving towards the end of the third season. Uh, hope that will be coming, coming in December but we got plenty of stuff to talk about until then. As we know, some stuff is ramping up. Some stuff is starting to slow down. But nevertheless, whatever it is, we're going to try to cover it here on the podcast. And until I talk to you again, make sure you continue to do everything to stay healthy. Not only worried about COVID, flu season's coming. Make sure you get your flu shot. And always remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.